Hi, welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast presented by the European Film Market of the Berlinale. This season of Industry Insights, the EFM podcast, puts a spotlight on the highly topical and trend-setting industry issues, creating a compass for the forthcoming film year. The year-round podcast is produced in cooperation with the Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. I'll be your host. Uh, I'm Scott Roxborough, the European Bureau Chief uh, for The Hollywood Reporter. And today's episode is about the money. Follow the money. Now, uh, maybe many of you have been following the strikes in the US, uh, the Writers and uh, Actors Guild. Um, and one of the key issues of those strikes was creatives getting proper compensation, particularly from the streamers, for their work being exploited on these platforms globally. Now, the writers and actors did succeed in, in, in those efforts in, in the United States um, and have new deals with Netflix and the other streamers to provide more transparency on how well their, their content is doing and to pay them when it does really, really well. Now, what hasn't been as well covered in the media is that the same efforts are going on here in Europe with some of the same successes. But as always, in Europe, things are a bit more complicated uh, and a bit more bureaucratic. So it's a bit more difficult to understand what's going on. So that's the purpose of this podcast. I'm talking to three experts who will give us a little bit more insight in what's happening here in Europe and how you as a creative can get more idea of how your work is doing uh, internationally and to get more money back. For it. So joining me today on the podcast are Fabian Massara, who's a producer and partner at Berlin's Endorphin Production, Tina Klint, who's founder and CEO of the Danish film sales group Level K, and Maria Tanyala, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of FilmChain, which is a film tech company that specializes in managing financial transactions for the entertainment industry. Thank you all for joining us. Okay, well, yeah, thank you all for joining us. As we all know, this subject is incredibly complicated when we talk about remuneration and transparency from the streamers and, and, and how the right situations work. Incredibly complicated, but we have to get a little bit into the weeds, I think, to talk about this issue, and it's vitally important for anyone, really, in the industry. And Maria, because you're really the adult in the room here, I'd like you, maybe, if you could, to give a bit of an outline um, about what the sort of legal situation is in Europe, particularly with the EU Copyright Directive, and maybe sort of just a sketch a little bit uh, sort of the the broad outlines of uh, of the topic before we start to really get down in the weeds well thank you so much scott thank you tina and fabian for joining us on this session i am maria tenjalo uh, the co-founder of film chain and uh, indeed it's it's um, a great pleasure to speak about transparency and fair remuneration in the creative industries this has been of course a topic that has been um has been discussed for for many years so i think um i was i was uh, in, at meetings with european uh european union member states then that were uh, at that time dis discussing how the european copyright directive should be shaped uh back in 2018 so, um, first of all, with us at FilmChain, we've always kind of focused on royalty payments in film and TV. So we, we are a collection agent, a CAM, and um, we always kind of dealt with problems of, of delayed payments, underreported revenue that is never recouped, very manual and opaque systems. And um, we put together a, what was called a, a digital CAM, a real-time payments CAM. So, of course, we've always kind of been very passionate about 
about understanding how 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 revenues can can flow in a in a much smoother way in the industry for independent films and and TV series. And um, there was actually a report in 2022. It was a study on copyright and new technologies commissioned by European Commission. Uh, so published in March 2022, where they were saying that up to 30% of the revenue is lost, mismatched, or or underreported. So of course the the lack of aggregated data and mismatch revenue it's it's hurting the industry hugely and uh, the overall economy. What was fascinating to me really was last year uh, when uh, the the SAG and WGA um uh, strikes also kicked off and it really felt that uh, it was a synchronicity between what happens in North America and um, what was happening uh, over the past uh, couple of years in in Europe. So the asks uh, for, for SAG and WGA, the ones that, that they were particularly focusing on today relevant to this topic, there were minimum earnings increase, um, Per, uh, the participation in streaming revenue uh, because they were considering that the current business model uh, has eroded residuals income. And uh, the ask was, of course, around no viewership data, which meant that actors and writers don't know how valuable their work has been. And there were actually, these were the three points that, that they had, uh, had major wins. So performance, as we know, with, with SAG had a 7% wage increase and, uh, uh, actors were also about to earn, uh, a success payment along with usual residual payments if, the work um, on on the streaming projects attracted a significant number of of, of viewers. So, uh, on the last topic on high budget streaming production, streaming producers are now required to disclose the total number of hours the content was streamed, both U.S., Canada, and abroad for each quarter. So that was again a huge, huge win. Um, intended to help actors determine if they're being fairly compensated, um, especially relative to, to, a, to a show's success. And we've always, um, as, as part of what we do, we, we, we firmly, you know, stand with WGA and SAG requests because we believe that every creator should have access to transparent performance data and then to profit participation, if any. Then the European Copyright Directive, which I know that it, it has been kind of very um, complex and uh, it has been like uh, discussed um, across the member states. At the moment, this is not legislated, so it's just a guideline. Uh, the, the Copyright Directive is really addressing two main points, fair remuneration and exploitation. Uh, so appropriate and uh, proportionate remuneration, which is Article 18 and Article 19 transparency obligation. So that member states ensure that authors receive at least once a year relevant information on the exploitation of their work. And it's incredible because if you put the two together, it's, it's just like the strikes and the European Copyright Directive are essentially asking for the same thing. 
Um, then it was this amazing article, um, a new report from Audiovisual Observatory that was actually just launched before Berlinale, so on the 1st of, of February this year, that is it's actually talking extensively in, in about 90 pages on, on fair remuneration for audiovisual authors and performance. Um, and they, they, of course, kind of raised the, the fact that bis- new, mis- new business models and the growth of VOD services have given huge opportunities for content creators and generating more income. However, of course, the lack of transparency practices that were not like box office was was treated, you know, clearly communicated. Um, obviously kind of uh, associated these new online exploitation models to an imbalance of bargaining power in contractual negotiations. You're already getting into the weeds and we need to, but I wanted to bring the others in uh, as well to also get a perspective of how people on the ground who are in this business experience these problems of not getting fair remuneration, chasing after revenues and so forth uh, before we start getting into the actual details of country to country. Maybe both uh, Fabian and Tina, um, maybe Tina, uh, you first, because you, uh, through Level K, you sell films and film rights uh, worldwide. It's always been a challenge to find out how your film is doing to get money back. <laughs> maybe let let me know maybe a little of the horror stories that you've experienced in trying to get your your fair money back and trying to even find out what a film has done, where it's being exploited, and 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 what revenues you're you're even owed. I mean, what has been your your personal experience with with these with these type of problems? We collect data and information from the distributors, and we and it's always been you have to ask for the information. You have to ask for box office admissions information. There are information, for instance, a Comscore or other data available where we can find out how the film is doing in, in theaters. But we do need our distributors to deliver uh, royalty reports and we have to push for it. Of course, some distributors, it's automated and they deliver uh, the information, but the transparency is super difficult. And it's additional work. So you have to have people sitting and, and collecting this uh, data. So, so Maria, when you're saying all these great things about transparency and EU directive, I'm like, who are to actually do this? And because no one is getting additional payment for this. So is it, is it us delivering on behalf of distributors to the producers? I guess it, the producers in the end will have to collect for, uh, or collecting agent for the creatives. We have data from the VOD platforms. So for us as an aggregator, and that's the other side of, of our business, we are sales agent and we ask our distributors to report to us. We are also an aggregator. And as an aggregator, we have the data from the VOD platforms. And that's very specific and very detailed. And that data we give to either distributors or producers. Not on the, and that's now I'm talking about EST, that is electronic sell-through, that's when you buy digitally, and TVOD, transactional VOD, where you rent for 48 hours. On the SVOD side, uh, subscription on demand, then we don't have the viewership data. And that's what is missing that could be uh, more transparent. But otherwise, I actually think that uh, the VOD platforms report and they report every month. And uh, so that data we already have and we can we can share with the producers and distributors. And 
Fabian, what's been your experience as a producer in particular? How much insight do you have from the streamers, from other platforms, how your content um, is doing and and to what degree do you get proper recompensation in, in your opinion? I mean, uh, how much is it a black box uh, and, and to what degree do you do you actually have some sense of uh, or some feeling of transparency when it comes to the exploitation of your content on these various platforms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, first of all, hi, everyone, and thanks for having me on this podcast. So um, every producer has their own experience, of course, and I'm just giving you some insights from my perspective. So it pretty much goes in line with what uh, Tina said. Um, so many distributors are really transparent on the numbers that they get from the exhibitors and streamers and, uh, you know, TVOT and, and all these numbers. Um, and, and are really on time at sending their reports. I just received some this week, which is for the last year, which is, which is great. So I don't have to ask for it, but with others, I have to ask, I have to really chase the numbers, but any one of those is chasing actually the numbers from SWOT. And this is, I think these are the biggest players. And that's what Tina also mentioned is how do we get, that's a big challenge. How do we get numbers that are reliable from the streamers about the success of the shows? And this is pretty much a black box because of course they are publishing those numbers, you know, but there's no third entity who really can double check that. You know, I mean, there's some companies who try to measure web traffic and social media impacts and whatever, and trying to create some metrics around this, but it's still like very vague. So I think what the industry needs is kind of like agree on certain metrics that, that measure the success of a show. And this could be related, of course, on, I mean, what's open pretty much because they have to report it to the stock markets is how many subscribers they have. So, but that, that doesn't say how much did the viewers watch or complete or whatever, you know? So um, we can't attach the success to the subscriber numbers. Uh, this is maybe an indicator for the power of what they could share with us in terms of money. But in terms of a particular show, we really need to find these metrics. And this is, this is what we believe because it all trickles down then to us and to the filmmakers that we work with. Tina, yeah, you want to say? Yeah, no, I, I just on the transparency as well, like and being very practical, we... Maria's system gives a great overview and Level K has also created a, a system where we download reports from VOD platforms and import it to a system that then allocate a, a you know, it's, it's a, a film ID number and a country code and an account that, that holds the rights in that specific country. So the data can be giving an overview to the correct rights holder. But there are also some of the VOD platforms. Every time they change a dot, then we have to program and change our uh, codes to, to make sure that there's no mistakes made. But there's still some VOD platforms by big, big, big companies where they are working in Excel sheets, but without uh, codes. So you cannot identify the content. And we are in 2024 and it's great with all these uh, new initiatives, but we are still working with data that is, you know, that there are mistakes being made because if a title has the same name and you don't have codes, it cannot be reported correctly. So we are sitting with VOD platforms that cannot report correctly. And then we cannot give the distributors the correct data and they cannot give the creatives the correct data. So that's another issue. It's great that we have the initiatives and laws to help us with the transparency, 
But we also have to look at the be, being practical and saying that. But right now, there's a, there's no way it can be can be done. I mean, it is still it seems to be shocking that anyone be working with Excel sheets as a VOD platform in Europe in this day and age. But I mean, maybe they're just nostalgic. Um, can I ask Maria? Because you, you were going starting to go into the, um, the looking at individual countries within the EU. The thing, of course, that's always complicated about the EU is that these directives that are put forth are not direct law. They are implemented in different ways in different countries. When it comes to something like this, we're talking about um, a copyright uh, exploitation probably across the entire EU. That makes things incredibly complicated without losing ourselves in the complexity. Tell me a bit sort of how different is it between some of the countries in terms of what is possible, what what rights uh, copyright holders have? Because I know there have been initiatives in, in Germany, in Sweden, that seem to have gone a lot further. It seemed to have imitated what has happened with SAG and, and, and WGA in terms of the rights that the creatives are getting. But I assume there are other countries in the EU where um, the situation looks a lot worse. Can you have, give sort of an overview of like where uh, where creatives have it best, <laughs> where where they have the most rights in the EU uh, and the most enforcement and, and, and where uh, where things are still a bit lacking? Of course, you're very right, Scott. And I think there's also a problem in itself with legislation, right? Because a lot of the times anything that will be turned into a law will not really reflect uh, the pain points of the industry. And uh, I will let also kind of Fabian uh, further input uh, on uh, the massive change that, that happened in, in Germany with the reporting obligation to comment on that from the perspective of a producer who needs to report. But indeed, in terms of countries we have seen France, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Poland, and the Netherlands, particularly kind of working on both of viewership numbers, um, as well as increased remuneration. Of course, in Germany, you have Verdi, which is a trade union representing five sectors with 1.9 million members. So the bargaining power and remuneration agreement for performance based additional remuneration between Netflix and Verdi, for example, it has existed since 2020. And when you have 1.9 million members, it is a different discussion about what you can achieve. Of course, smaller states, first of all, they probably do not have the capacity to really understand what type of infrastructure they could put in place for dissemination of such data. So first of all, to collect and then disseminate data to rights holders, to creators, but also they don't have the critical mass. And uh, that's why legislation that is only a guidance it will stay at that level of just being guidance. In Germany, per se, we looked at what has been legislated into the German Copyright Directive. It meant that proactively all of the production houses, uh, um, all of the producers need to proactively report once a year to creators, to authors. But that in itself created so many complications because you have producers who don't know how to get that data and then it's a huge amount of work to to disseminate that data to hundreds of authors. And so I'm sure that a, a few companies have felt like they've been punished with, with such legislation. So, of course, for us, we loved the, the opportunity to work with the German Producers Association, with the Producenten Verband, to, to just create an infrastructure, the dashboards for that to happen seamlessly. 
But I'm sure that even with the dashboards, coming back to Tina's point, producers still kind of have the obligation to to pull in that data. And that data can be corrupt, can be full of mistakes, and no one really wants to get to sue anyone and to get to a court case uh, because of because of this. So um so the the actual implementation is still very challenging although the framework is there. Fabi maybe you can spot to Berea's point there um about the new requirements uh, for producers to report. Can you explain that just a bit and also um what what sort of a burden is it for for producers because when we talk about remuneration and more transparency um it usually is framed in the sense that oh this is going to be great for producers and copyright holders because they will get more of the fair the money back that they deserve. Um but it also comes with a yeah a reporting and a, a administrative uh, burden. Can you can you talk a bit about that what's been your experience uh, in Germany? Exactly. So that that has been a discussion um how to handle the sheer amount of of reports that you have to send out for different projects to different creators and it's not only about the writers because on a movie you usually have one or two writers and that's easy to handle to send them the emails out and we did that in the past because in our company we've always been pretty transparent and we have backend deals with the writers and key creatives but what's new in this directive is that you also have to include actors, makeup artists, you know, anybody who's creative and who normally don't have these backend deals. So you weren't obliged to be transparent towards them. They get a fair remuneration like everyone, and that's fine. So what's new is we have to report to them too. So you have literally dozens of people on each film that you need to report proactively to every year. And then you have maybe 10 films in distribution, you know, even a small company, if you shoot one or two films per year and the distribution period is 10 years or whatever, you have hundreds of people that you need to are obliged to send the reports to and they have to be correct and all that stuff. So we're pretty horrified of having huge Excel sheets and then having huge email traffic and having people working in the office for weeks just to handle that. So uh, yeah, we, we started discussing, I mean, there are different platforms who are offering this, but we started discussing with Maria's company if they could build such a platform, which m- merely works as a funnel. And we put in the the numbers that we get some of them are reliable, such the box office, you know, wherever you have a standardized um, measurement system, and some are just intransparent, like the like the like these uh, streamers. So, um, but you fill in these numbers, and they get you have certain uh, um, rights of certain um, for certain projects and and, and 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 creators, and they get the email automatically. So we just wanted to automate it to the biggest extent. So because actually, as a producer, we want to embrace the transparency. I mean, I'm talking about myself again, but I know many producers who are like that because, and this is not about just getting all the money that we are entitled to or the creators are entitled to. That's one point. But the other point is we see it as a huge incentive to really go the extra mile for some creators you know to take risks to be more excellent you know and thus make the products better you know i mean they do anyway i i can assume that you know because they love our stories and everything but it's an additional incentive to to be better and um because you get then a fair transparency maybe not more money because as we all know that it's a hit business so most of the projects won't be profitable it's the truth but if you get a hit at least you know where you are with the project and you learn something and this is and it increases the level of trust also and i think this is the, the biggest gain on this so that's that's our take on on the on the whole transparency law 
I would like to to just make the point of uh, just to echo what Fabian has said. What we felt as well, it's it's that this increased transparency across the value chain ultimately builds trust and helps everyone make better films. Yeah. Tina, can you maybe speak to that? You talk about the difficulty with transparency in a lot of areas and difficulty in knowing, uh, um, getting numbers back and so forth. But when you do have it, when in the areas you have like your direct sell-through and your your aggregation business, where you get very good figures uh, back, how is that impacting what you make and how you make it? Is there a feedback loop uh, happening there? Uh, on the aggregation where it's mainly with distributors in uh, in different countries. So we report to them and and yes, they do use the data and, and they do know them, their own market. So they do look at the data to buy new films, not necessarily going in and, and checking. It's probably an overview in terms of genre and they know. So what is good to import and what works for their local audience. But that is another with all this knowledge that we have, and, and I do think that the, most of the business is transparent and do um, agree with the transparency. But then the next question is, how do they actually exploit the, the knowledge? Because there's so much data. So, and, and as, a, as a sales agent, you know, we, we do have the next festival coming up. We are doing strategies. And so, the, so actually looking back, at all the data and having a person to exploit the knowledge. That's again, something where you have to invest. So I think we, we can all, uh, there's so much information and, and many reports, but are we using it? I don't think uh, the smaller companies have that capacity to have a person to sit and say, okay, listen, if we want to be big in, in Spain, Latin America, we are go we're making this kind of film. I don't think that's really how it works. You, uh, Fabian, you can, you can say when, when you're doing a production, one thing is the local market. And then for international sales, it, it's a, uh, you, you don't make a tailor-made production to be exported to, uh, to Asia. So you have a lot of data. But how do we exploit it? And do we want to? Can you answer that, uh, Fabian? I mean, what? How, how do you work on that level? Um, I assume, obviously, the local market is always the most important. But now you do have data coming from outside. Does that contribute? Or do you want it to contribute to sort of how you how you end up making productions, the decisions you're making on the creative side? No, I agree with Tina. So we cannot make a tailor-made film because it never works, you know, because it's just not working. So, But what can change is, of course, that we understand how to or what are the the particular touch points of the audience in the story that we want to tell you know we want to stay original and and it all starts with the story and the filmmakers but we want to also understand how do we get the attention of the audience i mean we are not marketing the films ourselves but we have to think about it of course and this is where the data helps of course and this is what it's all about you know uh, i'm quoting a colleague of ours i was on a panel on the efm like two days ago and he said it's about what kind of cheese do you put on the vegetable so that people want to have it? You know, and this is more about that. The vegetable stays the vegetable. That's that's the valuable part of it. And you know, we the audience wants to be surprised and all that. So we we there's no tailor made version, but but still it helps us understand things and discuss with distributors also how do we what could be done or what could be emphasized. You know, what kind of parts of the story or the theme. And this is where it's helpful. 
That's a yeah, it's interesting. I guess it shows the 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 new vegan uh, approach of uh, of the industry in general that you use vegetables as a metaphor, not like a cheeseburger uh, with the cheese on a cheeseburger. Um, but uh, Tina, yes, you you wanted to jump in. Yeah, and I think that you can use the the data and information as a again like a guideline. Uh, know about the audience, uh, what are they interested in, but also uh, now the AVOD, advertisement funded VOD. It's uh, established in in US, but it's not established across Europe, but it's coming. And one thing that will be and also fast channels and so on. Um but one important thing is that the films need to, for royalties to be interesting for the distributors. Royal, uh, the, the film has to catch the audience in the beginning because you need to go through those commercial breaks. And if you don't go through the second one, then royalties are zero or less to none. So the distributors also look at films and say, okay, if it's not capturing, if it's too slow, within the first 10 minutes, then it doesn't work. So you have to to also look at the, is it a film for theatrical release or is it a film for TV and VOD? And this is where the price point is interesting for the producers to know that if you are a TV and VOD film outside your local country, then you do need to capture the audience. And of course, everyone wants to capture the audience, but sometimes films are also starting it's a slow burner. It can still be a fantastic film, but then you might not get the the prizes that uh, you would have gotten 20 years ago. So the, the VOD is changing also the films, the market, and how we uh, look at films. Maria, you want to jump in? Yes, I think what's um, uh, an important kind of point is to also balance uh, the um, the power of who has access to data, right? Because it feels like it can be uh, one side that has all the data and may or may not utilize it. And then there, there are the uh, the other members of the uh, other parties to the value chain that don't have the data. So they can't even make an informed decision about what they're going to do with it. And on that point, it can be retrospectively. So we've seen the German screenwriter uh, Annika Decker that won a residual lawsuit to receive further payments for the blockbuster Rabbit Without Ears. And that was just a, a sign of a screenwriter who finally got to understand the success of the blockbuster and then accessed further remuneration. So it can be retrospectively. And uh, of course, I completely understand the point of view that you will never necessarily base your decisions on what to produce next in a certain country. But absolutely, I think it is it is vital to know how to price it in case you had viewers or not. Because if you don't know when you make your next production, you have no idea about the success. You only get the price that you have been offered and you will never know if that was fair or not. Yeah, and we can use the data to uh, reach our audience better. So when we're making a strategy for international sales to inform the distributors about the possibilities, we can use and exploit data to position the film better and making the right marketing material to reach the audience. Because I think that is for, for European films, for art house films, for smaller country productions, it's often a lack of supportive marketing material for the film to reach 
audience across borders. So you have your local trailer, but you might not have much more because that is coordinated with the local distributor. So to reach a wider audience, we can uh, use data to position the film better and create uh, better and more supportive material to reach outside home country. Can I jump in? Because we'll go back, Maria, something you mentioned uh, about who has the data uh, and who has access to it. We've seen connected back to what the strikes in the US and um, uh, SAG and the WGA getting an agreement with the streamers to for them to provide a certain form of transparency and to provide a key for remuneration uh, so that they know if you are if you make a, a film or a series for, for Netflix and it hits a certain number of, of com completions or a certain number of, of views, then you get a certain kind of compensation. What's the situation here in Europe? I know that Germany and I think Sweden have, have done similar type agreements with Netflix, but I don't know all the details of how the remuneration works there. Who in Europe, just if we want to stay in Europe, who here has the right to demand transparency from uh, and uh, direct data from, from the streamers? And what does the remuneration uh, packages legally look like uh, here in Europe? So, so yes, uh, according to, to the report that was launched by the Audiovisual Observatory, so we have uh, Denmark that has reached this type of agreement for increased remuneration. Even in Poland was a pilot project for additional remuneration, success-based rate for screenwriters, directors, cinematographers and actors. France has also, since November 2021, has this uh, adequate and proportionate compensation obligation. And of course, Germany. So um, the Netherlands also has a, a sort of, it's, it's kind of going towards that direction uh, as well, based on viewership numbers. And coming back also to, to Tina's point on, on, on dashboards, like as a collection agent, us too, we have dashboards of analytics and we try to support exactly with the same thing. Just so you know, right from the beginning, even from the pre-sales made to know which territories have sold and kind of where, where distributions uh, with distributors um if if overages start to come in or uh, after minimum guarantees you get to see further royalties to just have that data visualized very easily very kind of easily to digest in order to make informed decision but of course as a collection agent we only so much kind of rely on um data that comes much much later from distributors and the question to me is how can we make that even more real time. Yeah, no, because I'm Maria. We we're trying to work together on our our first film, and and your dashboard is a great overview. And now I'm just thinking, like, do you? Because when we collect royalty reports from distributors around the world, everyone has a different format. <laughs> so it is one number that you see on the if there's a royalties or when there is royalties. So that's one number from one country. It's impossible to import the data. That's where an aggregator, we, we have the data because we have it directly from the platforms, but, but actually collecting from each individual country so that you could see how do you do it with the German platform? Is it the producers that are typing in information or did you create a specific format that I'm just thinking but that exhibitors, cinemas are delivering to. Is there any way that there's a new standard coming or? 
Very good question. Is there a new standard? I mean, how is this done practically? Just building these platforms to allow, allow you know, how, how is this data being inputted? How is it being collected? If I may answer to this, so, so I, I mean, we're in the very beginning with this platform. So our, our hope as producers, of course, that using the more producers are using this platform and the industry getting used to work with this platform, the more leverage we have also to talk with the legislation or the or maybe the the associations of the streamers and television stations to join this platform as well and create a let's say a standardized reporting tool that everybody's relying to and in the very best case it will be a europe-wide or worldwide platform where everybody says okay i put in my numbers there and it trickles through automatically more or less so of course numbers need to be verified and there's also different mechanics in there where you can verify them at the moment it's still like that i get the report from a, a company we get a report from the distributors as a pdf or whatever and we have to yeah type in the numbers and uh, we can then attach the report as a pdf put it in the in the system there so we have kind of like a data management thing which helps us to keep an overview on the outcome of our projects but it's still uh, it's 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 not automatic so we we are the filter personally we have to put it in what makes it much more easier of course uh, already is then the reporting uh, to be sent out to the creators i mean that's that's a benefit right away but yeah, it, in the end, it should give us actually, that's the idea, some leverage to create an industry-wide standard. But we are not there yet. Absolutely. I would add to that, that the level of granularity is there. So it's rights, overages, MGs uh, per country, per distributor. So the, the granularity is there. But exactly like Fabian said, at this point is manual. We would absolutely love uh, the opportunity to do some API integrations if we are allowed to, so that we have the opportunity to automate as much as possible. And hopefully that uh, will give in, you know, six months time producers the bargaining power to request that, to move it from a manual phase, which isn't right now, very granular data, but manual, to, to more uh, automated standardization of, of reporting. Uh, that that is the dream. Well, can, can I ask though? Do we also because also the thing that Fabio mentioned at the very beginning was a common metric because the whole this whole you know film industry is based on the metric of the box office, which is a very standardized one. It's money that comes through the till uh, and so forth. As various other forms of exploitation have come about, new metrics have been found. Whether it's whether it's ratings or 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 whatever with streaming, um, the, the I don't yet see a very co a common metric to be used. I mean, Netflix deal with uh, the with SAG and uh, the WGA had one measurement. As far as I understand, the deals that have been made in Europe are slightly different in terms of what they say, you know, how they how they measure and so forth. Maybe, Marie, you can explain a bit more. I mean, um, do we have a common metric when it comes to streaming exploitation? And don't we desperately need one? I mean, what actually should be the common metric to be, to be measured? Because if we're all measuring different things, then the idea of fair compensation sort of goes out the window because no one can agree on what, you know, even what we're looking at, whether uh, not, uh, you know, uh, where it should, how it should be divided. Well, I think, Scott, on, on, on your point, um, there, there is, of course, there's conversation there, but um, every, every platform has a different number of subscribers, right? So then it's also the question, 
almost like um, what percentage of your subscribers have watched this because you can't compare subscribers from what can be um, what can be um, you know a, a smaller content provider a European content provider with one of the oldest platforms on the market and and their database so um, it is definitely a percentage of subscribers that uh, that is um, that it's I I personally think that it's incredibly relevant. And then you have, for example, in, in Denmark, and uh, please uh, do correct me if I'm wrong, Tina, agreements have been reached with Netflix, but also similar agreements have been reached with uh, TV2 and Viaplay. And, you know, Viaplay is originally Scandinavian um uh VOD platform with UK offices as well so and expanding but they are very kind of they have a stronghold in Nordic countries and and uh, agreement has been reached with them too um of course the metrics will be different compared to the agreements with Netflix but that doesn't mean that we should stop and stumble upon uh this uh, kind of well, are the metrics the same no they're not the same but there there is a common point there around percentage of subscribers who have viewed that content and going back to the uh, the strikes um you said it's interesting that these sort of things are happening simultaneously and that the the demands being made um on this side of the atlantic and in the u.s are very very similar but um one thing that is very different is that the unions at least in the entertainment industry here in europe are actually much weaker than they are uh, in the u.s which is an odd thing for a lot of people to understand since unions in general are you are much stronger in europe than they are in the u.s but when it comes to the entertainment industry it's the last stronghold of the dream of socialism can i ask actually all of you but do you see an impact on collective negotiating on 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 union uh, strength within the industry here in europe do you, should we expect that groups like verdi and others within um, the european industry will start to collectively negotiate and 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 get better demands out of the uh, out of the streamers um in sort of the wave of what's happened uh, out of the united states for any of you maybe you know uh fabientino or or maria who would like to think do you see an impact from the success of the the unions in the united states do you see that having an impact here in europe as well or is it already having I think it's too early to say. Um, and, and for the German, uh, Germany in particular, the agreements with Netflix that Verdi has negotiated with together with the Actors Association and other association about better remuneration and, um, yeah, a certain extent of transparency, uh, these happened before the strikes. So there was also already an urge like five years ago to start these, these talks. So these deals were settled like, uh, I think one was settled four years ago or three years ago and the other one two years ago so i'm not sure if these strikes have a bigger effect here maybe they've been watched carefully because you see what they do and if it leads to kind of a certain standard of measuring the success of certain shows that could be adapted here it could be an example but to be frank, I don't see that this has a massive impact on 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 being more coming together and and being stronger and having a str stronger lobby leverage uh, here. I, I don't think so. I don't know, Tina. What do you think? No, I'm I'm thinking I haven't no, I haven't felt or heard anything where this is relevant right now. Maybe at a later stage. I think we have a lot of other topics that are more current, like just laws of local countries about what kind of content you're allowed to import. Like in Europe, like queer content are, are not allowed in to be released in, in specific countries. So I think the topics are, are 
other, where we, we need to come together across Europe. So there's uh, cultural uh, differences, but also cultural traditions and uh, local laws of European countries that are something where uh, I don't see us coming together right now and adapting anything that just happened in the US. I think uh, my perspective is uh, a bit more like looking at the energy. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, I think it has impacted, uh, things and behaviors. And, and I think the, the way, uh, filmmakers, the way, uh, companies in the value chain look at engagement. We very much welcomed and appreciated, for example, the reports launched by Netflix, the engagement report that was launched in December 2023. It was a report that covered 18,000 titles representing 99% of all viewings on Netflix. So we can't say if that was a direct consequence of the strikes, but it was definitely a, a very interesting coincidence on timing and a very welcomed a step in into um, an intricate, complex report on shows viewed on Netflix. So this is the type of behavior that hopefully, if it, if it won't mean any type of like European unionization um, uh, per se, and that can be in incredibly complex, especially there's a lot of kind of bureaucratic obstacles in that, but more of the general feel and the general behavior uh, attitude towards reporting towards viewership, engagement, and making informed decisions to make better films. So more of a vibes thing, that the, the vibes are such the things that it's uh, that it might have an impact over here. Well, can, can I ask all of you then, I mean, when it comes to, if someone is listening to this, um, who is a creative at one point, you know, is a, is a writer, uh, a director, uh, an actor, um, and they're hearing this and thinking, well, I've produced stuff and I'm sure it's doing better out there and I'm not getting proper remuneration. And Maria quoted a report that said what well, was around 30% of monies are, uh, uh, which which is just crazy if you think about how how narrow the margins are for independent and film. And as Fabian said, how they mostly lose money. So, I mean, any lost money uh, uh, is, is, is really a tragedy, if I could be dramatic about it. Um, what would you advise uh, creatives? What would you advise them to do? How can they get better um, insight into the data uh, uh, and what should they do to try and get a uh, proper com uh, remuneration? What sort of practical things that a writer, director, actor uh, uh, can do if they if they think, um, you know, I'm 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 getting ripped off? <laughs> what what can they do? Yeah, Tina. I would say write to Maria and Fabian. <laughs> And then I would say, make sure you get a good lawyer because, you know, what you, in your example, it's already when they feel they're getting ripped off. I think when they're entering a new agreement for a new project, it's totally fair to ask for a kind of a backend deal or like having transparency included in the contract. Uh, again, I'm talking about our company here. So there might be other producers who are, don't want to be transparent for their own reasons. But, but they, they should ask for more transparency and have it in the contract. And um, they, they should just know and listen to these podcasts and so understand that the law, at least in Germany, is on their side and we are obliged to, 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 uh, to report. And for producers, I mean, which I consider also being very creative, or at least they, they should be, and that's how they define, we define ourselves in our company. I would say, I mean, embrace transparency for sure, because it's also like talking from a 
plain business side, not only building more trust and having better films and more motivated creators on your side, simply from the business side, I think it's a very good tool to manage your risk because the more data is out there, the, Tina mentioned that, and I think Maria too, it gives you an idea if you have a script on the table of what kind of budget is the market, would the market be ready to risk to pay at, at the at the present time, it could be different one year ahead. Uh, you know, nobody knows what's going to happening. But if the project has a momentum right now, what would be the realistic budget to aim at? And you don't have to change the story, but the, maybe the way you approach it, and and these kind of things help you manage risk. I'm not using the term mitigate risk. I, I I'm I'm hearing it at all the panels here. And risk mitigation, of course, is something that's a part of management, but you have to also take risks because if you don't take risks, you don't get a return, you know, and not only financially, but also creatively, you don't get return. So th that's why I think also this, um, that would be my advice to producers, like create, embrace the transparency and, and use it as a tool to, to manage your business. And so on my side, I think um, my advice would be to don't be afraid to ask questions even if it feels that you're a bit more unpopular if you do ask the questions there's nothing wrong with it it will just make you feel better once you receive the answers because i i know that a lot of filmmakers a lot of creatives producers will understand that if it's a flop there are so many other people who paid a lot of money to to make that film and they're losing a lot of money and once they know that they feel a bit more kind of comfortable with their compensation but you can only do that once you have the information so even if you're a bit unpopular do ask the questions find out what's you know in what position you are and then you decide what direction you take from there well maybe then for all of you, just to wrap up, um, saying this, a lot of this is, is, is still quite new. A lot of the, the new laws that have been brought in, a lot of the new procedures, a lot of the new workflows is still, is still very, very new. And we're just sort of figuring out, uh, how it works and, and how well it works and the impact it'll have. But maybe I can ask all of you, how optimistic are you that this will be a positive contribution? Or do you, uh, I'm just wondering if looking forward just a couple of years or five years uh, into the future, how will the world look differently when it comes to transparency? of information and and compensation uh, for for creatives yeah maybe tina first yeah i think this is very positive and i think in five years we will have a much better overview of all the data and hopefully we will also be uh, better in exploiting the data for reaching the audience or like we spoke about earlier positioning the films or using the overview of the data uh, so i think it's a very positive initiative I also know that that's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of data and there's a lot of work and there are many APIs to be done, Maria. Um, but uh, it's very positive. I totally agree with Tina. Um, so so it's not sure that it, there will be more money in the market and all that. We Nobody can say that, but at least it increases. You know, what Maria said that in this survey, they find out that 30% of the money is lost or it's, 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 yeah, it's just not there, but the damage is much bigger than the 30% because it destroys the trust. And, um, just to overcome that, I, I also think it's a, it's a very good initiative and there should be, there will be more steps we need to take, especially to the, to the other end to regulate how the data comes into the funnel. 
Um, but it's a, it's a good start. And um, because it all starts with the creators and they need to have, you know, they, they need to know where their, where, where the money or the success is going. And um, yeah, um, I also think in five years or a couple of years, we'll be at a much better position. And my conclusion, I can only just go back to box office numbers. So what we have seen, you know, we have seen a strong industry knowing box office numbers right at the top, and that's influencing the life of theatrical releases. Um, it didn't make them more successful, it, but it, it just simply informs the people working with box office numbers. So I, I think um, the same type of access to data and reports should be across the entire value chain and across all rights. It's only like this that creators and, and stakeholders in, in the value chain can feel empowered if they have the same access to money reports and data like we know at the end of each week how the box office performed. Yeah, that's the dream. And hopefully uh, not too far away uh, a future. Um, well, thank you all for joining me. Fabian Masaya, Tina Clint, and Maria Tanyala. Thank you all. And uh, yes, anyway, for everyone listening, enjoy the rest of uh, the market. And uh, we'll see you at the next one. Thank you very much. Really great talking to you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you all for joining us. And thanks to all of you listening. This season of Industry Insights is produced in cooperation with the Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. And this episode has been presented in collaboration with my bosses at The Hollywood Reporter. Please do tune in to future episodes of Industry Insights. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on the website of the European Film Market, which is wwwefm berlinalede Thanks for tuning in.